Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. The Young Anglicans podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. Uh, And this episode of the Young Anglicans podcast is once again brought to you by the uh, 2019 ACNA Provincial Youth Gathering, which is coming up this June in Dallas, Texas, uh, June 17th through the 22nd. Come and spend an incredible week following Jesus in our uniquely Anglican way, doing what the early church did, celebrating the Eucharist together, encountering the living God in the praises of his people, devoting ourselves to the teachings of the apostles through challenging talks and Bible study, and serving the world that he loves. The first few days of this conference is going to be a conference, and then we're going to move into a missions trip structure. We're going to be um, serving throughout the the Dallas-Fort Worth area in various ways, Um, just coming alongside with what God is already doing there in Dallas. It's going to be a really, really great time. Archbishop Foley Beach is going to be speaking with us. Uh, Archbishop Kwashi is going to be speaking with us. And uh, I still don't know that I'm allowed to reveal any other mystery speakers. Oh, uh, Father Keith Hartzell um, from Greenhouse is going to be coming and giving a teaching on healing ministry and things like that. Uh, It's going to be a really, really great time. So go to younganglicans.com slash PYG2019 slash register. That's too many slashes. That's really hard to follow. But There's got to be some go, links in there somewhere. Yeah, just go to the Young Anglicans, younganglicans.com, the Young Anglicans website. Uh, you'll find links on there to get to the registration. There's lots more information. There's mission trip details and a schedule overview and all kinds of information about cost. Um, the cost is going up in just a few days. On April 1st, it goes from $450 to $460. So get those registrations in now. Uh, it is open for rising 6th through 12th graders. Um, I assume rising means students going into 6th through 12th grade. I would assume that is true. Uh, I, I hope it's okay for me to bring students who have just graduated because I'm planning to. Um, yeah, anyway, we'll be staying at a hotel the whole time. Uh, it's going to be a really, really great time. So make your plans to be there. It is June 17th through 22nd in Dallas, Texas, the 2019 Provincial Provincial Youth Gathering. We're hoping to have between three and 400 students from all over the ACNA there. It's going to be great. Make your plans to join us. Uh, hope to see you there. That sounds like so much fun, and I'm sad that I can't make it. Yeah, we're, I'm still mad at you, so we're just not going to talk That's about fair. That. We'll move on. Uh, so our topic today, we're going to talk a little bit about, um, this kind of piggybacks off of what we talked about in our last episode about, um, how we avoid our youth ministries from being siloed. We'll, we'll start with the assumption and we assume maybe falsely that all of you are on board. If you're not yell at us in the comments, um, we'll assume that, that we would all agree that having, uh, an integrated youth ministry is better that having students who are um, connected to the larger church, that they don't feel like they're 
segmented off from uh, the rest of the church um, is better, or at least that we want to have some kind of connection. You don't want to have a congregation within a congregation. Um, but youth ministries, of course, historically have that kind of um, reputation to them. In fact, I think in the, I want to say 60s or 70s, when um, youth ministries were moving from parachurch to like denominational ministries to, to in the churches, um, the World Council of Churches, which was a sort of um, mostly mainline denominational gathering, uh, issued this sort of warning that youth ministries were going to create these churches within churches and have these siloed effects. Um, and so actually a lot of mainline denominations heeded their call and didn't do youth ministry, um, which is why we don't necessarily have a great tradition of youth ministry in the mainline churches, um, with exceptions, of course. But then all of the non-denominational types or the people who didn't care about the World Council of Churches went ahead <laughs> and uh, did their internal church youth ministries. And they had that's how we have the youth ministry of the 80s and 90s. But I think the warning was correct. We saw for a number of decades, youth groups became the de facto church and you didn't want to go to real church. You wanted to go to youth group. And then we have, um, this is a pretty simplistic narrative, but I think it's generally accurate that that's how we have some of the fallout in the last few decades of students graduating from youth ministry and then not going to church afterwards when they graduate out because they wanted youth group and real church is uninteresting. And that connects to the rise of the mega church and all that kind of stuff. But um, trends aside and history aside and knowing who we want to point fingers at aside, um, how do we do that now? How do we avoid having our students feel like they like youth group, but they don't like church? So when they graduate, they just look for youth group fun. Um, yeah, see, that's less my concern hmm. than how do I, and maybe we should just talk about that, but but my concern about it is more that God is doing amazing things in youth group and like I think that the rest of the people in the church like generally have an idea that this is going on, but they don't know what it looks like. They don't know what's happening. It, it's just like every now and then a kid shows up to be baptized. Yeah. And they're like happy and like, oh, welcome. <laughs> and they, you know, when this, this kid starts coming to church, then they welcome him and uh, or her. And and like it's it's great in that sense. But it's but there's just never this sense that they they like. There's, it just doesn't feel like there's ownership from the church over what happens at youth group. It's this totally separate thing. And yeah. I, it, like, cause I don't have any Sunday morning programming, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't have that problem of the students not being involved in worship, uh, except that some of them wind up working in the nursery and other things sure. like that. Classic um, youth ministry problem. Exactly. But, but I don't have Sunday school. It's something I'd like to start. But even if I start that, I'm not going to start it during the service. Sure. Right. That would be, and I would just beg their parents to bring them before church and I'm sure they'll grumble and I don't want to get there that early. Like I'm sure they'll complain about it. Uh, the ones that don't already get there early, but, um, but to me, that's what, what I would do. But how do I, how do I bring the rest of my church into what's happening? Besides just like telling them every now and then. Yeah. So I hear two different potential concerns. Um, at, the, at the second half of how you described it, it was sort of a sense of ownership and just that ideologically it's bad to have these two separate things 
Um, mm. Not even necessarily concerned about its effects, just like you want the church more involved. It's better for us to be together. But at yeah. the beginning, it almost sounded like there's awesome things happening in my youth group and it could positively affect the rest of the church. Absolutely. Um, like they could really, and I, I love that framework because I think even the way I described it was sort of like um, uh, starting from a point of fear of like getting kids connected to the larger church is necessary or else they're going to drop out of church when they graduate. That mm-hmm. like you need more adults involved. This is like, you know, building off of the sticky faith, having more non-parental adults involved in their lives. Yeah. But um, I like the sort of inspirational mode of like teenagers are awesome and <laughs> there's so much vitality and life in what they do and they can bless the rest of the church. Um, and so we should figure out ways to to expose their gifts to everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and more than just, Oh, well, they can acolyte. Yeah. Right? right. Which is which is the standard answer you get in the Anglican church. Yeah, yep. we our kids are involved. They acolyte. You know, they acolyte yeah. <laughs> once a month. They're all there. It's great. You know, so and it's I don't want to cheapen acolyting. I think yeah. it's great having the kids up there serving at the table, really coming to understand what the priest is doing and how the priest is doing it. And all that's great. And I, I, I'm not going to stop my kids from acolyting. Right. But let's let's stop acting like we can put a check mark in the discipleship column because our students acolyte. Yeah. Yeah. And I think acolyting in particular, I think there's acolyting and then there's acolyting. There's acolyting of like, oh, they can do it and that's cool and we get to see them and it, aren't they cute in their little robes? Um, mm-hmm. Especially for like the sixth graders, right? Then yeah, they get to right. be then they get to be older and our acolyte robes are too short and they're like <laughs> teenage legs are sticking out. <laughs> And, you see and they all look jeans bored. And, and Nikes there. <laughs> they look uh, bored and you could you know, <laughs> tell they wish they weren't there. <laughs> um, but then then there is, I mean, I, I hear and I see places where acolyte ministries are these cool opportunities to interact with a larger church where, where they're rubbing shoulders with other people, where it turns into a discipleship ministry. Um, and I actually, our acolytes at All Souls get to sort of see behind the curtain for a brief moment as we all get ready to invest. I mean, in some ways, it's like you get to see how the sausage is made and you find out that all that mystery and beauty up front happens with lots of like stress and <laughs> franticness ahead of time. Um, one thing I think it, that we've tried to do is um, our verger uh, recruits acolytes um, starting in sixth grade and okay. then sort of by their senior year, he's like, okay, you can have your senior year off. Like you've done your time. Thanks. Um, what I tried to start doing is get them. Sabbatical. You've done yeah, your seven yeah. years. Here's your sabbatical. <laughs> um, what I've tried to do is um, one to get that senior year to be a transition year into being a chalice bearer. So our chalice bearers yeah. also, you know, carry the cross and gospel and they help at communion and saying like, okay, okay. you're an adult now you're going to integrate our acolytes wear a red robe. So like now you're going to wear a, a white robe, like you're switching over and now you're going to be, you know, doing that. And that I think worked for a few of my students who, who stepped in and did that. And that was really cool. Um, I also think there are ways just liturgically, like having students as readers, I think is really great. Yeah. Cause yeah. having a diversity of readers is helpful for the congregation to hear yeah. God's word read from a variety of voices um, yeah. is really great. And I think having, like 13 year olds read yeah. the text 
is a is another different voice and it's not just like oh that's really cute it's like oh this is this helps me see scripture in a new light this helps me encounter the word of god differently because i get to hear it read from a different voice and in that case it is just it's doing actual good not just finding a place for a teenager right absolutely and maybe that's an important thing like how do we find real places for teenagers not just like how do we how do we place them somewhere like or how do we find them where they're actually going to be serving with their gifts not how do we just place them in a place yeah yeah um absolutely and 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 in that sense in that sense integrating them into the full life administry of the church yeah right um yeah, so I, I think I think in the Anglican Church we have le- okay. So I'll, I'll just tell the story. Um, uh, a young young man came to me one time and he's like, "Yeah, I'm a new youth pastor at this Presbyterian church, and um, I'd love to just pick your brain a little bit about how to get started and what I'm supposed to do." And I said, "Okay, tell me tell me a little bit about your your youth group." Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Well, we're a church plant. We're just getting started." You know, we've got about, we've got about, I don't know, like 75 adults and a handful of students. Yeah. And, you know, so, so what we're doing right now is when the adults have their service, we have our service over here and we have our own worship and we have our own message and we have, and so it's totally separate. Yeah. And like, I was like, man, I don't even know how to. I don't even know how to talk to you about that because I, I, there's so many, so many problems that I have with that just theologically and ecclesiologically and all of these things. Um, so I think in the Anglican church, we don't have that problem, right? Because it is a part of who we are as Anglicans that we are at the very least going to gather everybody for communion. Yeah. Right, and we are all going to see receive the bread and the wine together, right. and and I I would be very surprised to find Anglican churches that I mean I suppose there's probably lots of churches in the ACNA that don't necessarily take communion every week, and in that case that might be a a church that keeps them separate. But right. I haven't heard of those. Um, I I I do know of of a church in our diocese that is having. Sunday school for the teenagers that happens during the word. Yeah. Um, and, and that, I, that makes sense to me. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I personally, I am inviting my students like, no, you're in junior high. Now you should sit and listen to the sermon and you right. should listen to the Bible readings and you know, you should receive the word. Sure. Right. Um, that said, I, I don't, especially in a small church with, no like structured youth ministry or anything like it or the time to do it or whatever, like doing it during the service. I think that makes sense. I'd rather the kids be discipled in some way than to be ignored. Um, I think, but I, so I don't, I don't think that first problem that you, that you put out there, do you, do you have a sense that that's a big problem within the ACNA of like the first problem? I don't remember. I don't remember Just how I like articulated the kids, it. The kids completely separate from the rest of the church and they only like they don't go to big church at all. And that's right. for that's the boring thing for the adults. And I only go to the interesting thing for students. So I've I've heard of that happening in churches in the ACNA. I, I don't think it's it's very prevalent. Um, OK. 
yeah, I don't think it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And the only church I've ever heard that happening at, I know has made changes out of that. But I do think there is um, figuring out how to integrate adolescence better into the church requires in some ways a shift in ideology about the life stage called adolescence. Okay. Um, so I, I think you can you can err on two sides of this. On one hand, you can lean into like these are teenagers, these are kids. We don't wanna we don't wanna deal with them. Or like adolescents are like werewolves, and they're like the full moon is up, and we need to lock them in a room. Um, I saw I saw an episode. I used this in a talk I gave once about adolescents. Um, I think there's, there's a show in the UK called I think it's called Being Human, and it's about like a werewolf and a witch and a, and a vampire who are like all friends in London and they just have to figure out how to live in the real world or whatever. And the werewolf, like when it's his time of the month, they have to just find like a storage locker and they just lock him in there and he just like wrecks the place. And then he comes out in the morning. And the yeah. idea is like, that's how we treat teenagers sometimes like buckle mm. up. <laughs> yeah. Hold on tight. They're going to wreck everything around here. Mm -hmm. um, but then you get through on the other side mm -hmm. um, or we treat them like, like kid. it's this like, n no, I just don't want to. So we can have them in the service, but like they're a different species. Um, so that's a problem. There's the other side that I'm starting to see as a response to that, that sort of denies that adolescence really exists and says like, you're 13 now grow up and be an adult. Yeah. Um, right. Let's set high expectations for you. Let's like, stop thinking that you're young and that denies the importance of all those developmental tasks of adolescence. Um, but I do think seeing adolescence as again, my, my favorite metaphor and until someone gives me a better one, I'm sticking with it. Adolescence is the internship of life. And so you need to increasingly like see teenagers as, as these like people who are becoming themselves Mm -hmm. learning who they actually are. And so you just want to bring them in and start right. to interact with them like adults and start to interact with them in ways that that are encouraging them to move in the direction of adulthood while recognizing they are in fact teenagers and yeah. are, you know, in this wonderful, horrible, pubescent life that they live through. Um, right. And, and, and giving grace there. But I think integration requires more than just like structures in place. That's what I mean by like, there's acolyting, there's acolyting. There yeah. is pat pat, you're involved. And then there's, yeah, let, let, let's involve. Like, let me talk with you before the service because what have you been up to this week? Maybe even the adults sharing some of their lives. Like, yeah, I had a rough week at work. I, I think that can do a lot of good for integration because it says it invites the student into full adulthood um, and sort of constantly is wooing them into that place. Mm -hmm. rather than treating them like they're already adults or already or still kids saying no come with me let's let's figure this out let me let me do this alongside with you i find one of the best quote-unquote youth ministry things my church ever did is now almost a decade ago we did a free car wash for the neighborhood we made signs we like hung them on doors everywhere and it was just car wash like come get your cars washed and mm -hmm. students and adults were all involved car wash is a thing that you know, fifth graders can do. I mean, elementary school kids were involved and mm -hmm. everybody was working together. And, you know, if there's a kid cleaning something, you might have to go over and make sure they actually cleaned it. But, right. But you can also like washing a car. It's not, 
it's not that hard to get it right. So right, right. <laughs> so you can basically trust them. Did you get the door? You got the door. That's fine. It's also yeah. a free car wash. So if people I complain, I was going to say it's a free car wash. Free. You get what you pay for. Yeah, sometimes. you get you get what you pay for. But all of that is an opportunity to to live into our our shared mission. In many ways, kids then have the energy that adults don't have to get work done, to be excited, to sort of be playful with it. I mean, two yeah. cars in and you're already as an adult tired of it. And there's yeah. this beauty that like the, the fun and enthusiasm of youth brings into it where actually they have the strength that we don't. And so right. it's like, awesome. Let's lean into that. Right. Um, sometimes teenagers are, have an easier time talking to strangers than adults do. Um, right. Sometimes it's vice versa, but again, it's leaning into and inviting and calling them saying, we're not we're not living dis- different Christian lives. You don't right. turn eighteen and then become an adult Christian. Mm-hmm. You are doing the same things I'm doing. Like we are all reading the Bible and praying and trying to follow Jesus in the same way. And so, but but what I appreciate about like your description of the interactions before the service, right, with acolytes and yeah, and 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 even the interactions you're talking about happening over a stupid free car wash, right? Like what I can, what I hear in the way you're talking about is it's not about this service that we're getting ready to go and be a part of. Right. It's about, it's about this, it's about these people that we have come together to do this thing with. Mm -hmm. Right. It's about, and so I'm going to come and as we're like hurriedly putting on our robes and, Oh, you know, we're, we're actually going to say, Oh man, it's been a crappy week. It's been, you know, how's your week been? Like it's this chance for us to, connect on a human level right um and and i and i think that's the one of the concerns that i have sometimes like if i invite someone to come and help out with youth ministry it's like i'm inviting them to come be with like these inhumans right (laughs) or these 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 little monsters that are going to somehow chew them up and spit them out um and what's interesting is when i see adults interacting with the students on sunday morning it's not there's not that sense And yet, and yet they have this sense that I guess when you put a group of them together, that suddenly they, you know, it's some sort of mob mentality that they turn into urchins or something. But, but anyway, I I digress a little bit. What what I appreciated about what you're saying is, is the, this idea that even Sunday morning, even coming together for this beautiful and solemn and sacred thing that we're getting ready to do Mm -hmm. in, in, in expressing ourselves to Jesus and receiving Jesus in return and, you know, pouring out our heart, like all that important stuff, right, is yeah. still in and of itself. It's about us coming together and being together and sharing life together. And it's about those relationships that form over that. And and I don't I don't think that is pervasive. That yeah. idea and that concept I don't think is pervasive. Yeah. And I because it's easy to think about um, the Eucharist in an individualistic sense. It's easy to think about the Eucharist as me getting my interaction with Jesus and forgetting that it is a table and a communal experience. Right. I actually talked about this. Um, I gave a little bit of pushback at a conference I was at that was talking about spiritual disciplines. Um, and the whole model is sort of individuals and pastors in particular have to sort of have this devotional life that then emanates from them to their community and then to the world, that it sort of turns into mission because you start. And and I think experientially that's true. Most of us mm-hmm. all, we, we only experience life as individuals. 
But the New Testament doesn't talk as much about individuals as it does talk about people. And so Mm -hmm. what would it look like if our primary identification wasn't as um, individuals who then get to be part of a body, but instead think of ourselves primarily as a body and we're sort of an instance of that body, right? Right? Like where, mm-hmm. where when we come to the table, we have had a general confession as a community. Um, I made a point in a sermon once that like, we say the creed in the singular, but we say the confession in plural. Mm. Um, and I think that... Depending on which creed you use. Yeah. People who say... I feel like I had a debate with a friend about this. I think the creed is supposed to be singular. Like, I believe... Nicene? Yeah. The Nicene, Nicene. Creed is is plural. I don't know. I'm not sh- I'm not sure that's true. We should <laughs> I don't I, I mean credo is I believe. We we need oh, we need someone who knows Latin here. Um maybe it yeah, depends on on whether I, I don't know that I I and I'll I'll admit I don't know the Latin. I, the every time I've ever done the Nicene Creed it has been we not I. I think that's a shift from people who are trying to emphasize the communal nature of faith. But okay. I think the creeds themselves, as they were written, were singular. Okay. And look, the the point is a little bit weak. I'm not sure they intended to do that. I'm not sure the the little nuance thing I'm doing about the creed is singular and the mm-hmm. and the confession is is plural. I'm not sure that actually is what I'm making I mean, it to be. But it's an interesting. The confession thought. is the confession is plural. Yeah. And, and I think at, at most of what we do in in a Eucharistic service yeah. is is in the plural. And I think that's good. I mean, the Lord's that's prayer the is give us this day yes. our daily bread, forgive us. I mean, so if we think about the worship service as the community worshiping, not as individuals worshiping, yeah. it might help a few things. It might help us for not being so picky about particulars of the liturgy that we like or dislike. Um, right. Maybe right. that would be good for me. Um, yep. Or the music. Or the music or, or or even the sermon. I mean, again, th- this is not a word preached for you to have your moment. Mm-hmm. This is the sermon that is preached to this congregation. And if you didn't like it this week, maybe it's something that somebody else needed to hear. You just got to deal with it and you still got to hear God's word and receive communion. But right. if we think in those terms, then, then it's almost like having to shift our frame of reference. So it's not like I have to interact with these teenagers. It's these teenagers are by definition part of the body of people who are worshiping and receiving from Jesus this morning. And that then hopefully emanates from us. Um, as right, I say, because, te- because teenagers are the church, not of tomorrow. They're the church of today. Yeah. They are right? already they are the, the church. church of today. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead. Um, now, as I say that I recognize that I am as a, as someone who is totally bought in, to James K. A. Smith's "You Are What You Love" um, yeah. and the premise that we are not thinking creatures but loving creatures, mm-hmm. um, and that we don't <laughs> we don't typically believe an idea and then act on it. We have to act out an idea and then find ourselves loving it and then justify it with our minds. Um, I recognize that we have to have patterns in play. We can't just say this is a different type of gathering and then start to, in mm-hmm. effect, love our teenagers better. Um, so, but you know, I guess in some ways the liturgy already does the work for us. We just need to open our eyes to the things that we are already habituating. We are right. already, um, we're already going to the table with teenagers. We are already um, doing this kind of work. We're already worshiping, confessing, confessing together, praying together. Um, 
and so maybe the the effort is i don't know giving more legs and living into that to a greater capacity um if you think about the church i I think about our church and i think about the things that we need adults to volunteer for 90 percent of it can be done by a sixth grader oh sure absolutely right and that's and once you realize that i think you realize how easy it can be to integrate students into the church but but it also says to me that we have to stop teaching our adults that this is the way they serve the Lord. Oh, that's a good point. Or or, or I, I should say the only like this is the, once you've done this, you can put the check mark be, be, besides serve the Lord. Yeah, once you've that's been an I usher, mean. you're set. Yes, exactly. Now, um, but that's a whole other issue. I I want to I want to grab some of the things you were saying earlier yep. about about this idea of of community forming, community building. Like mm-hmm. it's this this is. I, I want to throw this out there for, for maybe uh, another um, podcast topic. Yeah. But I, especially in a hyper-individualistic American culture mm-hmm. that we have right now, that idea of a community and you are here for a purpose and God has appointed you to this body Yeah. Of, of our youth group even, not just our larger church, but also this youth group. God yeah. has appointed you to this youth group. That is a concept that I want to instill in my students. Mm-hmm. And I'm stumbling around a bit in the dark to figure out how to do that. Um, but anyway, maybe that's a future podcast topic. There, there's a, a book in the Bible called First Corinthians, and I would highly <laughs> recommend it. It's a yeah, bestseller. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> year after year after year, year after it's year. a bestseller. <laughs> um, I do think one thing, and we don't have time to, to flesh it out too much, but an interesting counterpoint um, was brought up in one of the comments on Facebook. Adam brought up the potential value of um, identity formation as a closed group of peers. That When you talk about youth group brands, like maybe there's some value that kids need to have their own separate space. And by kids, I mean teenagers, that adolescents yeah. need their own separate space to kind of be distinct as part of identity formation. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that's absolutely true. And that's and that's why we still have that's why we're not youth ministry abolitionists, right? Like we're not right, like exactly. towards the not youth gonna, group. I'm not going to stop having youth group. Yeah. Yeah, but but whatever the youth group is, it can't be to the exclusion of involvement right, so, in the greater church. So so l- let me say it this way. The the small group ministry at my church, right? Yeah. That is something that feels like that that the church understands like this is what our church does. We do small group, yeah. right? The youth group technically you, you could say is just another small group. It yeah. just happens to be a bunch of adolescents that are yeah. doing it. But, it's a slightly more robust small group. But it doesn't, there, there doesn't seem to be a sense from the rest of the church community that we all do youth group, whether or not you're there, whether or not like, no, this thing that's happening in youth group is something we are all invested yeah. in literally with our dollars, yeah. but also with, with our, our prayers, with our energy, with our thoughts, with all of like, it, this is something that we do all do together. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. And I can't figure out how to, how to do it. You know, I, I'll bet this is a uniquely, um, this may be a uniquely, not uniquely, but worse in, um, white culture because I okay. think, yeah, you're probably I right. think white culture is often, have a a separation of like extended family and we more than other i think ethnic groups focus so much on the nuclear family to the exclusion of everyone else and so i think 
I, I wonder if other churches that have a broader social network um, have a have an easier time with that. Like there's a family that goes to um, Church of the Savior um, and they they were missionaries in Mexico. And so they are the, the, the adults who have current teenagers. The adults all grew up in Mexico. And, and so they are like largely all white people. Um, one of them got married while they were in Mexico. So her, their last name is Gonzalez, but the, um, their family has this culturally Mexican element to it. And when they've interacted with my family, you can tell there is this incredible fluidity of, of adult involvement. There's this beautiful picture where like, it doesn't feel like, Oh, the only people I have to talk to is mom and dad because like, you've got, you've got aunts and uncles and you've got grandparents. And so like when our kids are over, although there's one particular nuclear family of that group that we are closer to, that we have more interactions with, there is this beautiful sense that like all of them are like, yeah, we'll take care of that. And it's, it is a beautiful picture. And it's one way that I think, um, I think it's stereotypically a, a very white thing, but not, not, it probably exists in other places as well. Um, this, hyper focus on the nuclear family actually does more harm to us than good um mm. and a whole philosophy that props up the individual nuclear family as supreme um has harmed our understanding of the church as our primary family but mm. i'll wage my war on the nuclear family on another episode um, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and, and and i i i fully realize that a lot of my issues with being so siloed are probably unique to me and my particular youth ministry, what God has done in sure. building this ministry, and some of the unique challenges that we have. So um, again, once once again, we get to the end of our episode and realize that we haven't actually <laughs> come to any conclusions or made any sort of, um, yeah, anyway, is there is there a good collect for community that we can think of? I mean, probably, but I don't have it in front of me. So instead, okay, so pray I'm for just going to find, uh, I got to pull it up here. I'll just pull up whatever collect we have today. Real quick, before you do that, Adam, thank you for your comments on yes. the Facebook page. If there are others that are listening, you too should go. Adam, you should go back to the Facebook page and leave us more comments. Leave us feedback. How can we do this better? What are we doing well? Um, what topics would you like us to talk about? All things like that. Please let us know. We, we welcome your feedback. That works. Out of the ear back from you. All right, let me pray. Almighty Son, who's most, or Almighty God, who's most dear Son, went not up to joy, but first he suffered pain, and entered not into glory before he was crucified. Mercifully grant that we, walking in the way of the cross, may find it none other than the way of life and peace. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends.